Good morning and good afternoon to all of you. Thank you ever so much for joining us today. As Gwen said, my name is Cressida Hamilton. I'm an executive coach at Armstrong Wolf. Um, I'm an executive coach with a number of other companies and I run my own business. Prior to that, I was in banking for 26 years, so financial services for 26 years, where I had a very wide range of different roles, predominantly global roles, so led large teams, large programs, and was also the group CAO for HSBC in 2019. So I know all about the strength of a personal brand. So today's agenda, um, firstly, we're going to cover what actually is a personal brand. You know, it's a well-used term, um, but actually not a particularly well-known term. So what is the definition of a personal brand? We're also going to cover why you need one. Um, clearly, you all dialed in today, so there's a bit of curiosity on your part. But what are the advantages of having a strong personal brand? We're then going to look at what does a strong personal brand look like? And we're going to look at this a couple of times in today's session. So as Gwen said, we like to get you all on chat. So we, I'm going to ask you to get involved on the chat. Um, it's very straightforward, so don't be alarmed. We're going to look at three personalities. So three individuals that are global names that you will all, um, I'm sure, have heard of and ask you to comment on their brand and them. And we'll have a you know, sort of run through of that. We're then going to talk about what makes up your personal brand. So when I coach my, my clients on personal branding in particular, I use a seven step framework. Um, and, you know, contrary to popular opinion, personal brand has two parts to it. It's not just about how you promote yourself, how you communicate, how you act, um, you know, how you behave, what you post, what you do to the outside world. A lot of your personal brand is about who you are. And as Gwen said, we like to ensure that you have a bit of a discovery session when we do these. So we spend a lot of time asking you questions and getting you to think about you and who you are, because that makes up your personal brand. So we'll go through that. And then lastly, we will talk about some key strategies so to build your brand and also in particular to promote your brand. OK, so before we go on to our guessing game and our little description game of our personalities, let's talk about what a personal brand is. So it is a term that is used widely. It is a term that creates a lot of interest. Now, this is a Actually, it's a Wikipedia definition. I happen to really quite like it. It's a bit wordy, but it's good. So a personal brand is a widely recognized and largely uniform perception or impression of an individual. And that's based on their experience, their expertise, their competence, their actions and or achievements within a community, an industry or the marketplace at large. So there's a couple of things with three things to point out here. One is widely recognized. So actually known by, you know, a, a large number of individuals, largely uniform. So a good, strong personal brand is reasonably consistent to the audience. But most importantly, is based on what that person brings to the table. So your brand is based on your experience, your expertise, your competence and so on. And there's a couple of others that I use in my framework that we'll talk about as well. So remember, when you think about your personal brand, two parts to it, your internal pace, who you are, what you bring to the table and how you communicate that brand. Why is it important? 
I mean, there's numerous reasons and there's been a fair amount of research on why personal brand is important and why it's a key differentiator. But to pull out a few, it helps you build trust. If people understand you, if people know what you're about, they're more likely to trust you than if they don't. So firstly, it helps you build trust. It helps you build rapport. If you have, you know, commonality with other people's brands, it builds commonality and synergy. So it helps you build trust. It helps others understand you. You know, it gives them some context around you. Um, it gives them some words that they can think about when they're thinking of you. So it helps them make sense of you as an individual. It enables talent acquisition. And, and what I mean by that is if you have a strong brand in your organization, if you are well known to others, the chances are, and it's a brand that people like, the chances are you're going to have people that want to come and work for you. So again, if you think about this from your own perspective, when you work in the organization that you work in, when you've you know, advanced in your career, look at, think about the people that you actually looked up to, that you felt had a strong personal brand, you know, the chances are you may have looked at them and said, I'd really like to work for that person. That would be really, really great. So if you have a strong brand, you can hire good people. It obviously can help you create brand awareness for you, but also for your company. So, you know, not everyone chooses to do this, but some people like to go out and they like to post on social media and talk about, you know, their subject of interest in the workplace and promote their organization so it can help build brand awareness for you and the organization in which you work it can help you command increased compensation now i i put a caveat on this i am not guaranteeing that after you've learned about your personal brand you're all going to get increased compensation but the reality is and again research suggests if Leaders in your organization and those who are responsible for your compensation understand you, know who you are, know what you bring to the table, know your value through your personal brand. The chances are, you know, you can command greater compensation. Clearly, a great personal brand opens up opportunities. You know, if, again, if you are liaising with people, if you're dealing with stakeholders, you know what it is that you're looking for in your career. They can come and they can talk to you and they can say to you, hey, you know, I've seen this opportunity and I know, you know, what you bring to the table. I know your value. I think you'd be really great in this space and it can build respect. Again, think more widely at the personal brands of people, you know, whether that is people at work or whether that is just personalities. It can a good, strong brand builds respect for that individual. The next point is you have a brand, whether you like it or not. Um, and when I talk to clients in the first instance, they often come to me and they say to me, I'd really like to build my brand as if at that point in time, no brand exists. Trust me, every single one of you has a brand. So the actions that you've taken, what you've communicated, you know, all of the things that we talked about earlier, your experience, your expertise, your capability is all forming your brand. So I would then encourage you to think how much have you had input into? How much have you curated your brand? Um, because if you're not, your brand exists anyway. So have a think about that. You have a brand whether you like it or not. And then the last thing to think about 
is often when I talk to people about building their brand is this tension between how do I build a brand that will be effective in my organization, but yet remain authentic to me? And it's great to look around your organization and to see people, you know, whose brand that you like and to emulate parts of that. But you do not have to turn into someone else to build your brand. And the one key uh, pillar, we have six pillars that we talk about later around what makes a strong brand. But number one is authentic. A, a brand must be authentic to you. It's about amplifying who you are, amplifying the great bits about you and, you know, and then figuring out strategies for the bits that you have to develop. So you don't have to turn into someone else to build your brand. So it's chat time. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you please to uh, comment on, and here we have the lovely Oprah Winfrey. So hopefully most of you know Oprah Winfrey. So get on the chat, please, one word, one word that you would use to describe Oprah Winfrey, please. So get on to chat, start plugging your message in, confidence. There's no right or wrong answer, by the way. This is simply your view, one word to describe Oprah Winfrey. Okay, so we're starting to get responses in. Thank you very much. Confident, inspiration, strong. Yeah, nice, Marcia. I like that one. Outgoing, um, honest, brilliant. Powerful, strong, lots of strongs, confident, inspirational. Ah, yes, Oprah has a purpose. Thank you, Lydia. That's great. And I will talk to that one in a second. So you've led me nicely um, into what I would say about someone like Oprah Winfrey. So what's interesting is actually there's a lot of consistency in what you've said. Confident, strong, powerful. You know, those were words that have been used again and again and again. And the reason why I pull out Oprah Winfrey is my first example. There's, you know, there's a few reasons. So number one, Oprah Winfrey has one of the single strongest personal brands in the world. Um, so if you go to any uh, survey or any article about the best personal brands, go on to Google, guarantee you Oprah will be there somewhere in, you know, in the top five, if not in the top 20. So she's very well known for her brand. And I think a lot of that is about how consistent she is, which is seen through the words that you've used, you know, the, the, the real consistency of words. Um, you know, Oprah has a lot of things that she covers. She has Harpo Productions. You'll know her from, you know, most likely the Oprah Winfrey show, where she's a TV chat show host. She's written books. She's written two books as well as, you know, featuring in a few others. She's an actress. She was in The Colour Purple and she's a philanthropist. But despite all of those things that she's involved in, she centres her brand on predominantly five key things. So there's five key things that she always tends to talk to, and they are sexual abuse, slavery, African-American culture, women's rights and children's rights. And she uses her own story, you know, and the struggles that she's had and the experiences that she's had growing up in the world to uh, really amplify her message on those on those five key things, which I think is what makes her so strong. She's an incredible inspiration. And, you know, she's had a real tough journey in her life. So when you think about Oprah Winfrey, one of the reasons why, just to summarize, one of the reasons why she's got a great personal brand is it's very focused, very consistent. So we're going to bring up 
next person, please. So this is Malala Yushafzai. I've seen a couple of smiles from people who recognize this lovely lady. Um, so Malala, she is known as, as Malala, um, is a Pakistani native. She grew up um, with a real determination to speak up for what she believed in. Um, so much so, actually, you know, it's it created personal difficulties for her. Um, and if you're any, if you're familiar, thank you, Madhavi, resilience. So start putting your words on the chat, please. And resilient is the number one word. When we did the session two days ago, it's the number one word that people used for Malala. Um, so resilient, thank you. Strong, thank you, Diana. Keep the words coming in, please. Fearless, like that, Mara. That's absolutely great. Um, and indeed, you know, she was fearless when actually she decided to speak up at a very young age around the importance of children's rights and the importance for girls in particular to go to school and to be educated. And for those of you who may know, um, you know, Malala's story, uh, she was in Pakistan when it was ruled by the Taliban. Um, and actually, famously, she was sitting on a bus one day coming back from having taken her exam, one of her exams, which she fought incredibly hard to go and take um, and the bus stopped and a member of the Taliban got on the bus and said who's Malala and she said I am and he shot her now thankfully she survived that event and you know and, and the world is a greater place because of it but she has remained completely authentic completely authentic and completely fearless um, to what she believes in. So that's Malala. And then last personality, please. This is probably one a few of you are reasonably familiar. David would love to hear your word for Elon Musk. So get on the chat. So visionary, dreamer. Yeah, fantastic. Outrageous. Thanks, Marcia. I agree with that. So um, keep the words coming in, please, if you wouldn't mind. Fearless, yep. Uh, uninhibited, nice. Yes, David, great word. Um, and, you know, Elon Musk is a really interesting one. I think um, some of the words that we had a couple of days ago, crazy, <laughs> unique, was one um, that actually people talked about, self-confident, absolutely. Um, and, you know... Elon Musk is a really interesting character because, you know, he pushes boundaries um, and actually in some ways through the things that he's done through, um, you know, through SpaceX, through Tesla, these have actually contributed enormously to um, our progression, you know, as a globe. But he is also, you know, a little bit... Um, outrageous, I think, if I use Marcia's word. Um, so, you know, in some ways he's bold, in other ways, actually, and particularly when you look at some of the work that he's doing with Neuralink, which is about implanting um, AI into monkeys and chips into monkeys, it pushes boundaries in a way that, for me personally, I feel a little uncomfortable with. So he's on the spectrum when we talk about Elon Musk. Um, but the one thing you, you absolutely know with him is he is distinctive, he is unique, and he is totally 
authentic, whether you like that or not. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, everyone, um, for, for, for doing that exercise with us. So I'm going to talk through what makes up a personal brand, and then I'm going to bring David into the conversation, and he's going to do a bit of the talking. So I'm just teeing him up there. So um, now I could spend a lot of time talking through each and every seven-step element here, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a series of questions because when we do these talks, what we like to do is to ensure you go away and you have some things to think about and some prompts to think about. So I mentioned to you earlier, the seven steps broken down into four and three. So story, passions, values, and skills are all about you. So firstly, think about your story when you're thinking about your personal brand. Um, and somebody asked me a couple of days ago, Louise asked me, which was a great question, what do you mean by a story? So when I ask you to think about a story, what have been the major transitions in your life? So when I do this with coaching clients, I get them to do something I call three major transitions. So what's happened in your life that has been really significant? Could be create, you know, starting a family, getting married. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be a big career change or organizational change. Whatever it is, what are the three major transitions that you've had in your life and how have they shaped you? Because that's the bit that's really interesting. So how have they turned you into the person that you are? And again, if you think about this, this is what you see when Oprah Winfrey is interviewing somebody on her talk show. They're talking about their story, you know, and that's what's creating their brand in your mind. So first off, what's your story? And before you say to me, because a lot of my clients do, I don't have a story. Everyone has a story. So what's yours? The second thing to think about is what are you passionate about? Um, and, you know, we're thinking about our personal brand when it comes to the workplace. Obviously, this isn't, you know, a personal brand is universal. It's not just about the workplace, but that's where we're targeting. So think about what are you passionate about at work? Um, and, you know, there'll be something you'll be passionate about because sometimes people go, oh, I'm not passionate about anything that I do at work. But what is it that gets you out of bed? It might be your you really like to organize. It might be the feeling of getting things done. It might be the fact that you love working with your team, um, you know, and you like developing people. So what are you passionate about? And what are the top three things that you're passionate about? And how would you describe them in one sentence? The third one is values, you know, and these are really these are the cornerstones to use the word, you know, cornerstone that Gwen used um, earlier. These are the cornerstones of who you are because they really your values dictate how you walk in the world. So let me say that again. Your values dictate how you walk in the world. So what I'm going to ask you to think about is what are your values? Can you name them? Um, and one of the things that I do, and it's a useful exercise to go through, because it gets people thinking about not only what their values are, but really how important they are, is to do an exercise, which is called top 10 values. So funnily enough, it's about thinking about your top 10 values, and then you write a value on a post-it note, one value per post-it note, 10 post-it notes with 10 values on it. So you might have honesty, you might have trust, you might have respect, you might have integrity, whatever it may be. 
So that's your top 10 values. And then what I sometimes do with my clients and, and worth thinking about with you is then look at those 10, look at the one that's least important to you, pick it up, screw it up in your hand and throw it in the bin. So we've just lost a value. Okay. So now we're down to nine values. So again, look at your nine post-it notes, then look and go, okay, if I could do without another value, which one might I give up? Pick it up, screw it up in your hand, throw it in the bin. And so on, do the same with the eighth value. And what you'll start to find is it will become increasingly more difficult. And this is the way of really determining what's important for you as a value. We often don't understand how important a value is until it's taken away from us. And let me give you a very, you know, a, a, an example from my career history. I, uh, when I worked at UBS, which was, you know, a number of years ago, I ended up working for a, a, a person who came in and he really micromanaged me, really micromanaged me. And I'd never experienced this before. And what I realized very quickly was that I liked autonomy, I liked freedom, I liked independence, I liked being given the ability to be able to go and do what I thought I was good at. Because it also led to another value that is in my top 10, which was it was also a sign of trust and a sign of respect. So I really started to realize at this point, this was kind of, you know, sort of late 90s, I really realized how important being given autonomy and even given freedom to do what I thought was best was so important to me. So think about your values, try that exercise, see how it works, but also think about your past life, you know, and, and, and what's resonated and what's been a bit of a trigger and a little bit of a tension point for you and you'll work out your values. And then the last internal point is skills and experience. Now you should be more familiar with this um, because actually talking about your skills, talking about your experience in your day-to-day -day work should be something that should come a second nature. At the very least, you should know what these are once a year or twice a year when you go through your performance appraisal, but do an audit. And I do use that word you know, deliberately and advisedly. Um, do a skills audit, log your skills, know what you bring to the table, and note down your experience and, again, how it's made you the person that you are. What do you bring to the table? So those are the four internal ones. You've got plenty to take away in terms of to-dos there. The last three I'm going to talk a little bit about in a later slide. But they are how you behave because you've got all of this stuff around who you are. So how does this translate into your actions? How you communicate? And there's also a piece around image as well. And we're going to touch on that one later. So I'm going to pause at this point in time because we're about halfway through and I'm going to bring David in and get him to talk about his journey and his brand. Thanks, Chris. I have to say, I mean, I know that uh, I'm, I'm here to try to be helpful to the audience, but I found that really helpful just going through the last half hour. I, uh, you know, it's funny because I, uh, I, I'm probably in kind of in the camp like a lot of folks who uh need a bit of persuading that you know in fact you have a brand and uh as you went through some of the examples on the previous page i found that really resonated and even the, or then even more so when we got to this page and i started to think about just the way i introduce uh myself to people 
uh, whether it's uh, potential clients, whether it's new colleagues, uh, uh, prospect colleagues, uh, and trying to kind of establish rapport. It's really a combination of all of these things. So I found it, uh, I found this kind of really helpful just in terms of codifying some things that I was doing, but perhaps less uh, strategically uh, already. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm probably a new convert to the concept of personal brand in the last 30 minutes. To be ended. Um, look, I, I, there are a few points that you uh, uh, touched on that particularly resonate for me. I, I literally went through this page as you were doing it and just kind of made a note uh, against each of them for me about what are the uh, some of the things that I think I've used a lot in that kind of perhaps less aware or kind of trying to uh, reflect personal brand. Um, um, Excuse me, just fighting off a little bit of cold. So, uh, if if I look at you know my personal story, I wound up in finance, and has, you know I wound up in finance by accident because I had trained to be a naval officer. I had a medical uh, cause to leave it, but that's something that's pretty distinctive, not hugely distinctive. Obviously, Armstrong Wolf are are great advocates for uh, for former uh, forces folks uh, transitioning to finance, which is one of the sources of my connection with uh, with Armstrong Wolf, but. It's an interesting way to establish just a personal rapport. It creates a level of interest in, in people and they get to know, okay. And it brings with it a certain level of brand as well. Right? Uh, and I think particularly for the COO audience, that's particularly relevant. And perhaps a bit later, I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the relationship of what a COO brand means and what a personal brand means, because I think there's a really important dynamic there. Um, you know, passions, I think actually the examples you gave, fixing stuff and developing people, were very much uh, re resonated for me. There's also one that when I first went to Barclays, uh, the then COO of the, as it was then known, Barclays Capital, uh, used to use, which is, you know, to be a COO in particular, you have to be a natural enemy of entropy, right? You have to like to see things put to order. Uh, and that certainly, you know, reflects for me and like always wanting to see, you know, or, uh, you know, in industrial manufacturing, we talk about a little bit about Kaizen, you know, spirit. you can always make a little bit of improvement the way you do things. And I get kind of a weird inherent satisfaction from fixing things. Uh, it's pretty uh, helpful around the house because I, I like my DIY, but I try to bring that to, to the office as well. Um, values, look, I think an interesting experience for me was when I joined the Navy or went off to train as naval officer, uh, I had never played team sports. I had played tennis, I had run and so on. And and that once you put into a military context, the important, you understand better the importance of, or rather why in recruiting, it plays such an emphasis on team sports. And so I went from somebody who was probably a bit blindly ignorant of the importance of a team working to making that really one of my centerpiece values and something that, you know, team cohesion to me has just been a really important value ever since some hard learned lessons at 17 in a sweaty summer in Maryland. Um, you know, uh, skills and experience for me. And I think, again, this is part of why I found my way to see overall the breadth of being interested. The, um, you know, Charlie Munger, who is the partner of Warren Buffett, who's better, the better known of the great uh, Berkshire Hathaway duo, has a, uh, a, a well-subscribed article about the importance of having lots of different mental models from different disciplines. And, and that's a great way for me to borrow skills and experience and kind of make them my own, whether you borrow from statistics or from natural sciences or whatnot, but trying to bring all of your experiences into problem solving. Um, behavior for me, uh, you know, I think a lot is about transparency. I, uh, you know, I come from a world where I, I don't I want don't want people to question my motives. I'm trying to be explicit, and I think that's both in terms of building trust, but it's also 
uh, I think, a really important leadership tool because if you uh, are transparent with people about how you are coming to a decision, it's a force multiplier. They understand better the model that you're applying, and so then they can uh, come back to you and say, and say, I did it this way, and, and this is why I thought it made sense. Uh, and you know, I, for me, I lean back on when I was like 12 years old or something, learning computer program. There was a language then, not called Visual Basic, but Visible Basic, which showed you the machinations uh, in the computer. Uh, and that idea that, okay, when I, somebody comes to me for a decision, I'm going to provide the model uh, and try to provide the bounds is a really important thing that I try to be, you know, people leave me, uh, you know, in personal brand terms, leave me feeling like, okay, they didn't just get the fish, they learned a bit about the, the catching the fish. Um, communication, I'm a great one for, uh, for analogies, sometimes to a fault, uh, but again, it's about trying to help people understand the way I'm seeing things to uh, make them feel more empowered because you can borrow mental models and whatnot. So, obviously, transparency and communication, but also just trying to find different ways of expressing it. I, I'll, I'll use a lot of analogies to that end, which is, I think, probably the one thing people chuckle about a bit uh, about my style. Uh, and lastly, on image, um, you know, I think this is something we were talking about in the green room beforehand. Uh, and again, is, you know, this is really important for a COO uh, point, and I hope on, as we get into this, we'll come back a bit to that idea of the COO brand and personal brand. But um, when, again, when I went to Barclays 2004, we had a pretty wide range of acceptable uh, office wear. And uh, I thought it was really important because of the ambiguity of the COO brand to define that I wanted to be a serious person. And so I opted for you know, the more constricting, less comfortable into that range. Uh, and stuck to it uh, really the whole time I was there because I knew that I would encounter people who had very different perceptions of what it meant to be a COO in the market space. Uh, and I wanted that visible signal of seriousness before I got to go and tell people about, oh, yes, you know, I was a naval officer or, you know, I've done these other interesting things that bring me to bear. It was just, you know, it's a part of the brand that you can, uh, you can literally uh, wear on your sleeve. Uh, with the part and uh and uh it's a very helpful way sometimes to lead in the brand so that's just i kind of that's all just what i've kind of codified from going through your first few pages i hope that uh is a helpful start to uh the next section that's brilliant david thank you so much that's great and i love the fact that actually both you and john kind of took the model and then went oh okay and i'm actually going to talk through each of the each of the steps. So I know I'm getting the model right if it's prompting that thought. It is. So and, I, and, and as I say, it also, I think that there's a lot here that ties particularly to the COO yeah. seat as well. So I've noted down, let's come absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll placeholder the, as you say, the COO brand versus the personal brand. You know, as we've talked about, how can you be yourself, but also what's expected of you in the COO space? We'll, we'll definitely, I'll, I've placeholder that and we'll come back to it. Um, so I'll cover a couple more slides before we do that. Next slide, please. Holly, thank you very much. So we've talked a little bit when we went through the exercise with Oprah Winfrey, with Molala, with Elon Musk. What does a strong personal brand look like? And, you know, there's a number of things, but I've tried to, to narrow it down to kind of six key pillars. So one, as we said, has to be authentic. And I think hopefully by now you've kind of got that view. It does have to be focused. Don't dilute your brand. Think about as this, when I when I talked about the three transitions in your story. You know, thinking about the top values, thinking about three passions. 
really focus in on a few things done well. And those are the things that you really want to outwardly communicate. It should be differentiated. Now, you know, this is a really interesting one because actually sometimes I've had clients say to me, there's so many people like me, there's so many other COOs, we all do the same thing. How do I differentiate myself, you know, in this in this world? And I, you know, and I think there's a couple of things. One is by being you, by being authentic, you are already unique. And I, I, I know that sounds a bit cliched and I don't mean it to, but I really would hold on to that. Nobody else is you. You are you, and that what's that's what makes you great. So be authentic. Um, and the second thing is differentiated doesn't have to mean entirely unique. You know, I think that is reasonably challenging. It can mean that some of the things that you do do, again, are really you do them slightly differently or you do them exceptionally well. So you can differentiate in many, many different ways. Um, but figure out how you, you know, differentiate yourself. Should be well understood, as we mentioned, we talked a little bit about Oprah. Um, so, you know, and well understood is not the same as widely known. It should be well understood by the people. So, you know, you're doing a good job. I always talk to, to people, about that, as I say, and you know, you're doing a good job when if you go and ask or if I went uh, and if I went and asked somebody and I'm going to pick on Paul Madhavi because she's somebody that I know. If I went around to Madhavi's stakeholders, to her managers, to her teams and said, OK, give me a view on Madhavi's personal brand. You know, if it's well understood, I'll get an immediate response and they'll go, oh, yeah, Madhavi, you know what? super organized, walks the talk, great leader, really invested in me as a person, you know, and they're there. They're, they're you know, they're, they're, it's not a difficult question for them to answer. If actually they all say similar things, which is the next point, they say, oh, yeah, absolutely, Madhavi, you know, she's she walks the talk, you know, she's super organized, she's great leader, she's really invested in her people, and they're very consistent again you know you're doing a reasonably good job because that's all about how well you focus. So people have a similar view of you. And it's not that you want, you know, that's not the end game. What it's about is the fact that everybody uses a similar language. And when there is an opportunity where actually somebody needs somebody like Madhavi, you know, who is organized, people leader, et cetera, et cetera, because everybody talks about Madhavi in the same language, Somebody will go, oh, I know exactly the person for that opportunity. So consistency is a wide marker. So, Krista, you know, I don't let me to throw you off. But I just want to jump in and support that point, because uh, even on the intro page, when you were talking about this in the space of compensation, mm -hmm. I've sat in an awful lot of pretty high level compensation reviews and uh, kind of uh, filling out depth charts. And the value of that to where when somebody says the name, everyone in the room gets the consensus that yes, this is a person who needs to be looked after, or yes, this is a person who needs the next thing is enormous. And I've been mean, hundreds of hours in those kinds of uh, kinds of meetings, and it really resonated with me. So I just wanted to chime in and support that point. And and it's also and David, you're so spot on because I've been in those same meetings where also everybody's going who, Cressida yes. who, David who. Um, and then you've got no one to bat for you. So, you know, actually, it's you, you've 
absolutely. I think it's a really good example of if, one thing to remember if you want to, you know, ensure you have a strong personal brand is remember those meetings where actually you want to know that somebody's there going, yeah, absolutely, David, definitely and, and, the extra comp. And the one more thing, if I may add on, on the page that's really important here is your point about authentic because. I've also been in those meetings when somebody, uh, a name comes up and there's an instant eye roll because everybody knows that person is the person who is, you know, kind of out trying to position as opposed to trying to just bring themselves, deliver the work. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so there are both kinds of reactions and they're both common. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, widely known, I think we've just covered actually. So that's what a strong personal brand looks like. So we're going to go on to the last page and then I'm also going to again bring David in on this point around how do you balance zero brand, personal brand. So you've got four exercises, remember, on the four internal pieces, your story, your passions, your values and your skills and, and, and experiences. So how do you then take them and promote your personal brand? So there's a few things here. And honestly, there's lots of different there's lots of different ways of doing it. I've just pinpointed a few that I found work for me and work for some of my clients. Um, do you have a media kit now? As an entrepreneur, one of the things I came across was this concept of I had to have a media kit. And I'm like, what the heck is a media kit? What I mean by that is, do you have an up to date version of your CV? When was the last time you all looked at your CV? There you go. I see a few faces going. And this is not just because you may be looking for another opportunity. Keeping your CV up to date is a really just a straightforward example of investing in your story because your CV is a walking document of your experiences and your skills. So whether it's and I use CV as an example, but CV, bio, you know, whatever it may be, um, have a media kit. You know, Gwen talked in the marketing about the fact that you are the CEO of you. And it's a widely used expression when we talk about personal brand. But think about CEOs of large companies or entrepreneurs and founders all have these things. You know, they all have buyers. They have the headshots. They have the CVs. They've got documents that are up to date and they really express their story, their passions, their values, and their skills and experiences. Do you have a social media presence? Now, not everybody loves social media, not everybody loves posting on social media. And this isn't about, you know, I'm gonna go and post on Instagram what I did at the weekend. I mean with a work view in mind. And obviously, whatever you do, please make sure that if you decide this is something you want to do, it's within the parameters of your organization's rules and that your media team is happy about it. But I, I know a number of people, a number of my colleague, ex-colleagues, contacts, and actually now some of my clients post on social media. They work in, in fact, some of the banks that you work in, and they simply give an opinion. They'll talk about a particular subject matter. So one is, uh, one is very keen and very enthusiast, enthusiastic about innovation, new technologies in the payment space. So it's quite niche. And she goes on to LinkedIn. She forwards articles. She comments on it. Um, and she's starting to build a brand as the person that actually is really interested in innovation and new technologies in the payment space. So do you have a social media presence and do you use it in the right way? Something to think about. Weave in your stories when talking to people. You know, David pulled out this point earlier on. It's that 
hi, my name's David and dot, 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 dot. Um, you know, and obviously you've got to make it sound bitey. It's what you may know is a bit of an elevator pitch, but you only get one opportunity to do this when you meet new people. So you really want to go into those conversations with a few sound bites. This is why doing the exercise on your story, your passions, your values and your experience, and then honing those right down, they, you start big, but then you'll get into an elevator pitch. So weave in your stories when talking to people. Get out there. You have to get out there if you want to build your brand. And I'd like to say there's other cute ways of doing it, but there really isn't. So do town halls, even if you're not comfortable, especially if you're not comfortable. Go and volunteer to do speaker series in your workplace. Go and volunteer to be in other people's team meetings. You know, volunteer yourself as a subject matter expert in whatever it, a subject it is that you're passionate about. So get yourself out there. Volunteer to do these things. And each time you do them, they'll get a little bit easier. Use executive language. And what I mean by this is as human beings, we have a habit of really downplaying ourselves. Um, and I'll give you an example. I, I had a session with a client last week and she spent a lot of time talking about I manage this and I manage this and I do this and I do that. Now, this is a phenomenal woman who, who leads a global team um, you know, doing um, various CRO activities and some real strategic stuff. So I said to her, stop talking about managing. You're a leader. You're a leader of men and women to talk in those terms. So amplify the language that you use. And if you're not sure, listen to what some of the senior people say in your organization and then, you know, emulate that if it feels right for you. And then lastly, and David set me up really nicely for this, stress for the role that you want not the role you have. Now, this is an expression that's, that's quite widely known. But, you know, it's worth thinking about. Um, and, and, you know, as David said, we were having a chat about this in the green room. And I mentioned the fact that whenever I do uh, speaker series or keynotes on things like image work, I have a real thing about people wearing hoodies on calls. And I can't see if there's anyone wearing a hoodie, so I'm sorry if I've just caught anyone out. But for me, it's always been an absolute no-no. It's just too casual to wear on a Zoom call or at work. And, you know, and, and you probably wouldn't wear a hoodie into the office, so why would you wear it on a Zoom call? So do have a think about how you dress and also think sometimes, you know, it's easy for, for us to kind of look at that example, actually. And, and, and I did call somebody out on it very privately once. And, and the person said to me, but other people on the call were wearing hoodies. So, you know, I felt it was OK. You do, to David's point, have to differentiate yourself and think about how you come across, no matter what the cultural norms are. And if you're looking for promotion, as Gwen said, if you're looking for that next level, push towards the more serious, using David's word, the more serious end of your dress. So I'm going to pause there. David, let's pick up on the point you made earlier. COO brand versus personal brand. What's your thoughts? Yeah, so thank you. Uh, and uh, if we have time, I'll come back and just support a couple of the other points you made here, which, again, I, I was really very much uh, in, uh, in accord with. Um, but uh, so on the COO brand, um, uh, and Gwen will know some of this history. It's, a lot of it is in, uh, is in uh, one of Morris's books. 
as well. Um, but um, uh, at the time that I you know, came into the COO role, there was a, a great range of what trafficked under the, the term of COO. And we were growing our firm quickly. This is Barclays in 2004 when we were making our big push to become you know, uh, a top tier firm. Uh, and we were bringing people from different organizations who had very different perceptions. And so literally there was the person who thought it was uh, the COO, if the desk had asked you to go get the dry, or dry cleaning, which happened, uh, that that was in the job description. I have a standard joke I make about people who thought that part of their job was to, you know, they were doing great work on their administrative parts, their job if they were spent an hour a day signing purchase orders for staplers, right? And then you'll have people who have and the aspirational end, you view about actually uh, running most aspects of the business and allowing the business head to focus, say, on clients or on market risk, uh, but really operating the business. And uh, I think people can kind of get it wrong in a, in a couple of ways. So you know, your personal brand needs to align with that end, and you, but you need to be aware that you may be running into people who have a different perception. It may not be, and look, it's in markets, less today than 30 years ago, but sometimes you still have some folks who treat every encounter as a power game. And so you need to kind of uh, already be ready for that interaction. But uh, you should be approaching uh, every, particularly with new folks, every interaction with the uh, mindfulness that you could be encountering somebody who, if you haven't met before, uh, is applying any of those ranges to when you come to see them uh, and ensure that your personal brand is going to establish where you believe you sit in that space. So that's one, I think, place that I've seen this go badly wrong. Um, the other, frankly, is uh, is people kind of not being authentic to their personal brands because they feel like they've got to operate a particular way by virtue of the role. And I used to counsel folks a lot, particularly when I would bring them into the organization from within the firm, bring them into the CEO organization, and particularly those whom we would hire from the infrastructure functions, uh, you know, finance, technology, and say, you know, it is much easier uh, to raise your expectations of people over time than it is to overstep and then try to get trust back. Uh, but I've seen that happen, which is some folks uh, are plopped in the seat. They see the rarefied end of the spectrum. They immediately uh, kind of adopt that as their personal brand, regardless of whether where their capabilities, their influence on interpersonal levels, their stature in the organization is, and then blow themselves up in the process because they lose all of the ability to manage by influence, which is so important in the role. So different, uh, different um, uh, points of intersection there between the person and the COO brand, I thought were just worth highlighting. And um, if I could just touch uh, maybe two of the points that you had on this page quickly. Um, when um, you, know, you use that, it, uh, you are the CEO of you. I've somehow made it this far in my career without hearing that, but it did resonate for me with something else that uh, has been really valuable to me, which is, some uh, a coach I met many years ago in terms of mid-career transitions who encouraged having a board of directors when wants to make a transition. And I think every CEO should have a board that can challenge them effectively and can include things such as, are you being authentic to your personal brand? So, uh, you know, it can be very formal. It can just be a few people whom you have confidence, who see you interact, who you can kind of say, look, I'd like you to, if I could explain to you kind of how I'm thinking about myself, it would be great if you could be a check or a challenge on me. So I just throw that out to see what your thoughts on it are for the group. And then the other is just to support your point about getting out there. You know, I, I said earlier, I was one of these folks who needed persuading that I had a personal brand. I've also been one of these folks who needed some persuading on the importance of networking. 
Uh, and so a year ago, I actually worked with somebody and launched into kind of an aggressive state of this. And the value of the first 20 repetitions, right? I mean, and to borrow from, uh, from fitness, those doing those 20 reps uh, is enormous in terms of the steepness of the learning curve. And so finding those excuses to get out there and the, the ability to convey the brand comfortably, authentically, uh, kind of in a very natural fashion will go up dramatically once uh, I think anybody who hasn't done much of this has gotten out and had to work a few anecdotes into a town hall or uh, or uh, even in mentoring uh, people will come in. So one-to-one is a very low-risk way to experiment with how you can tell that story. So I just wanted to support both of those points while uh, while we were on this page. Thank you, David. And you're absolutely right. Mentoring is one that I hadn't put down, and it's a great way um, I always, in fact, again, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was an active mentor and it wasn't on his CV. And I was like, why? You know, it's it's a great part of a brand. I love your comment about, you know, I said to somebody the, the other day that a personal brand, you know, it takes, takes a while to build, but can be gone, can be destroyed in a second. Um, you know, and we know many sports personalities that have been in that situation. So, yeah, if you continue to go into situations where actually you're trying to increase people's expectations, that's absolutely, and do it gradually and slowly. That's a much better way than, than you know, as you say, overstating it. Um, and I do like the idea of, you know, we talked a little bit as a group earlier about go get feedback, you know, get some feedback around your brand, ask people how they would describe you, see what the view you is but to david's point go and talk to trusted advisors you know people that have sponsored you people that have supported you people that have been role models and say this is what i'm trying to do you know i'd really like your help on this because i mentioned right at the very beginning you have a brand because actually you talk to somebody and once you put something in your language they they use that same language for somebody else and again just to give you one last example before we wrap up uh, somebody said to me a while back and she said, you know, I, I'm not very strategic. And I've heard that expression quite a lot. I'm not very strategic. And it's, it's a tricky one because being strategic is means lots of things to, to, you know, different things to different people. And I said to her, what makes you think you're not strategic? And she said, well, you know, a couple of years ago, I went to a town hall and the CEO was talking about numbers. You know, it was it was the sort of financial review and I wasn't paying too much attention and I didn't understand the numbers and I'm not particularly comfortable with numbers. So, you know, I don't think I'm particularly strategic. So aside from the fact that she'd made this massive leap of I'm not very comfortable with numbers and not many people are comfortable with numbers, myself included, to therefore that means I'm not very strategic. What she then did was tell everyone else. So she went around saying to people, I'm not very strategic. And lo and behold, six months after she'd done this in her end of year appraisal, she got told one of your development areas is you're not very strategic. And it was born out of the story that she'd given to people. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and we had a we had a laugh about it. We can all have a laugh about it here. But you have to be really careful about this sort of thing because you can create un unhelpful language and it can come back to bite you if you're not careful.